Uh, thank you, guys. Thank all of you for taking part. Thank our praise team and our choir, and thank you for being a part of our worship this morning, those who are viewing by other means. Thank you for being a part of our worship time. Before I share God's word, let me just make an announcement because I know at a certain time we'll lose our Facebook and YouTube audience, but don't forget today begins our drive-through nativity. This afternoon, tonight, this evening, from six to 12, I mean six to eight, now you are listening, six to eight, we're gonna have our drive-through nativity, uh, a night in Bethlehem. And uh, so if you would, make plans to, if you work in the drive-through, make sure you're here at 4.30 this afternoon. And then uh, we need you here early to, to get costumes fitted and maybe get something to eat before we go out and know where your positions are. But when you, when you come in for the drive-through, you'll go down to the, uh, to the uh, we'll come in the first exit, you'll see that. You'll come in there and you'll receive a CD or you'll be told, given instructions on how you can pull it up on your um, uh, device or, uh, or you'll be handed uh, the printed words and you just drive through and it's narrated and so it's gonna be real good. So let me encourage everyone to come out uh, tonight through Tuesday night from six to eight. So please keep that in mind. And I appreciate everyone's hard work. It's worked so hard putting everything together and getting it all set up. And so be praying um, for, uh, as we share the gospel in kind of a unique way tonight, Monday and Tuesday night. Well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. For our text, we're going to look at verses 9 through 18. I'm going to share a sermon entitled, why the incarnation? Why the incarnation? If you remember last week, I shared with you about is there a virgin birth or was there a virgin birth? And we reached a conclusion. Yes, there was a virgin birth. Well, why the incarnation? So if you would, Hebrews chapter nine, uh, 2, verses 9 through 18. And uh, if you would, please stand if, if you're able and and, uh, and respect and honor of God's uh, inspired, infallible word. Verse 9, Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom all things, and by whom all are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sacrifices and those who are being sacrificed are all one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, and I will sing praise to you. 
And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in these pertaining to God, in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is also, or he is able, to aid those who are tempted. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to worship you and now for you to speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. I pray for each person here this morning. And Father, we're all different. We have different needs, and uh, we're at different levels spiritually, perhaps. And so, Father, I pray that you would deal with us individually, but also as a faith family, as you've brought us together this morning to hear a message. Why, Lord, why did you come here? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. Why the incarnation? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why Jesus came down to be born as a man, to walk among us, to die for us, then to ascend back to heaven to be our intercessor and our mediator? Why? Why did he do that? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, 9 through 18 there are three things that the author says in the passage was the purpose of God in coming down and clothing himself in human flesh. Three purposes. First of all, if you're taking notes on your outline, that he might deliver us from the bondage of death. Now, when I read that, I'm thinking, what's the bondage of death? Well, the bondage of death is the fear of death. That's the bondage. There are a lot of people today held in the bondage of death. You're afraid to die. And you're afraid to die because you don't know what's hap going to happen when you die. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and you're just floating along in this world, hunky-dory, thinking everything's going good, and everything perhaps is going good. Then all of a sudden, death comes. Look, if you will, at verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Drop down, if you will, to verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, 
He himself likewise shared in the same, made flesh, made blood, just like you, just like me, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All their lifetime afraid to die. And he came to release you and me, everyone, from that bondage, the fear of death. He came down to be one of us. He was made like us. He was flesh and blood. And the tearing of the veil at the cross, and the rendering of the veil, and the veil is his flesh. The point is, in the tearing of the body of Christ, because of the tearing of his body, the tearing of the veil, the veil is his flesh. Remember the veil in the temple that was rent from top to bottom? <clears throat> from the tearing of that veil on the cross, the tearing of the veil, his flesh, we have a pathway to glory. Meaning now death for the children of God is not corruption. Death is not decay. This is good. Death is not decay. Death is not bondage for the believer. Death is not dread. Death is not fear. Death is not blackness. Death is not darkness. Death is not despair. But now to us who are in Christ, death is an avenue to the very presence of the Heavenly Father. Why is that? He's removed the bondage of death. What's the bondage? The fear of death. We don't have to fear it anymore. So if you're a believer, you don't have to fear death. Death, there's only two ways you and I are going to go to heaven. Either by death or Jesus is coming back. Now that's the only way we're going to go to heaven. But we don't have to fear either one. We don't have to fear death. Death. Don't have to fear it. When a person dies, the trumpets sound on the other side when every saint, each saint of God dies. Trumpet sounds. Joy and happiness because another one's coming home. Death is our finest. It's our greatest hour because we're ushered into the presence of God. Now, that's what Christ did for us in the incarnation and in his suffering and in his death. So the point is this, death no longer is a dread. Death's no longer a dread. Death is no longer despair. Death is no longer horror. Death is no longer a nightmare. Death is nothing more for the believer than triumph. Death is victory for the Christian. Why is that? Because God sent his son Jesus. Let me say it this way. God came in the flesh in his son Jesus and relieved us from the bondage of death, the fear of death. So Jesus was made partaker of our mortality. He was made like us. 
So when we go back to Bethlehem, God was incarnate in the flesh. That's what the word means. God in the flesh, God with us. God was incarnate in Bethlehem that being a man, he might, through death, destroy him, the scripture says, that had power over death, which is the, is the devil. And then at the same time, deliver us who through bondage and death, all of our lifetime, the scripture says, dreaded it, feared it, but not anymore, not anymore. The incarnation is our day of victory and our day of glory. So if someone comes up to you and, say, and says to you, do you believe in the incarnation of Christ, that Christ came, that God came in the flesh through Jesus Christ, that the word incarnation means God with us? Do you believe that God was with us through, in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. And you say, well, why did he do that? Why did God come down and do that? To deliver me from the bondage of death, first of all, the fear of death. Number two, if you're taking notes. Number two, the second purpose, the second reason is that he might, that he might make, let me say it this way, that, that he might make, the Bible says, expiation. Another word would be expiation for our sins, or atonement for our sins, or reconciliation with God for our sins. So he came in the flesh to be here on earth to make atonement for our sins, to reconcile us to God. Now, let me go back. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, uh, they referred to it as Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest alone would go into the tabernacle and he would take the blood of, he would take atoning blood. They would, they would kill a, uh, a sacrifice, a lamb, without spot, without blemish, perfect sacrifice, perfect lamb for a sacrifice. And the high priest would take the blood of that sacrifice and he'd go behind the veil. You know, you have the temple and you have the Holy of Holies and there's a veil there that separates the temple court from the Holy of Holies. And he would go behind the veil. No one but the priest would ever go behind the veil. And he did this once a year. And he'd take the blood of that sacrifice and he would go in and he would sprinkle that blood He'd sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, and the mercy seat was the lid of the ark. Inside that ark was the Ten Commandments, uh, some manna, um, a rod of Aaron's that budded. And he would take that blood sacrifice and sprinkle it on the lid of uh, that ark, which is known as the mercy seat. He'd do that one time a year. And make that atonement for the sins of the people. Now, the author of Hebrews says that those sacrifices, year after year, one time a year, year after year after year, did not do anything but bring remembrance every year, reminding people constantly of their sins. 
continued sins. And those sacrifices, I mean, that sacrifice was made year after year after year, again and again and again and again, and it reminded people of their continued sinning and their passings. Why was that? Because the blood of animals was not sufficient. They were not able, that blood was not able to to wash the stain of the sin out of the souls of the people. It could cover the sin, but it couldn't wash the stain out. Micah chapter 6, jot this down. Micah chapter 6, listen to God's word. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of realms, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? None of that, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. None of that removes the stain of your sin. None of that does. The sacrifices were nothing more than just reminders of sin every year because the blood of the bulls and the goats could not take away the sin. However, in eternity past, before God flung the orbits out into space, God said this, Hebrews 10, a body must thou prepare for me. Then said I, Christ is speaking. Verse 7, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And so the point is, Christ came in that prepared body, prepared by the Holy Spirit of God, in the womb of Virgin Mary, and he offered himself once and for all a sacrifice for all of our sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, but that we have been satisfied, our sins have been satisfied, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all. The point is this, there's no more sacrifice for sin. No more. Let me ask you this. Are you burdened because of past sins in your life? You ever think of those? You're burdened about past sins and reflect back on perhaps younger years and some poor choices and mistakes you've made. You ever, do you ever think of that? This morning, listen, you may be burdened as a believer of your past sin, but why be burdened? Why be in bondage? by remembering your past sins? Because I'm going to tell you something. God don't remember those. He don't remember those. He says that the sacrifice of Christ for our sins is not every day. It's not every year. It was once and for all. In Christ, God has forever washed our sins away. Don't sit around and be burdened if you're a believer about your past. 
God's taking care of those. They've been washed away as though we have never sinned. That's the purpose of the incarnation. In Bethlehem, listen, God came down, assumed human form, human flesh, a body that he might offer a sacrifice once and for all for our sins. So why the incarnation? First, that he might deliver us from the bondage of death. Secondly, that he might atone and reconcile us to God once and for all, verse 16 and 17. And third, let me close with this real quick, that he might understand and encourage us in this life. Look, if you will, back at our text, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. He came to encourage us while we're in this life. Verse 18 says this, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 along the same line. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. The third reason for the incarnation is Christ, that Christ may be merciful, faithful, sympathetic, understanding as a great high priest. That's why he came. Uh, one of my favorite preachers, W.A. Criswell, I quote him a lot, and he shared... Um, on these comments, he shared about a uh, or an uh, oriental lore, and this is the story. Listen to this: there was an east there was an eastern oriental king, who in his age said that when he died, his eldest son would inherit the throne. But they had never seen him; the people never had seen the king's son. They never seen that eldest son, but the king said, you'll know his reign by the graciousness of his rule. So when the aged king died, the eldest son ascended the throne, and there he came out of the throne, streams of grace and mercy and sympathy and understanding and help. And upon a day, the citizens of the king came to the castle and said, we would see thy face. You so understand us. You so know us, you so sympathize with us, and you so help us. We pray thee, let us see your face. And the king came forth, and he stood before the subjects, and the people looked at him in wonder and amazement. And one of them said, While we know thee, thou art that stranger who stood by our sides when our little child died. We know thee. And another one said, We know thee in the hour of our greatest trial and necessity. Thou art the stranger that stood by our side. We know thee. Another, Why, we know thee in the hour of our greatest need. You were there to help. You brought bread to our hungry mouths. We know thee. 
And then he says, I would suppose that's a story about an oriental king, but it's true about the great king. He lived incognito among his people, and he knew them, and he loved them, and he manifested to them their needs. That's why the incarnation. That's why he came. The purpose of the incarnation, that he might understand us and sympathize with us, be in one of us, able to help us in our trials. That's what Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's why he came. Jesus knew what it was to be tired. And he knew what it was to be hungry. He lived here. He knew what it was to be tried he knew what it was to be tempted, but yet without sin. He was poor. He didn't have a place to, didn't have a pillow to lay his head. He knew what it was like to thirst. He knew what it was like to be weary. He knew what it was like to have a burden. He knew what it was like to be lied upon or about. He knew what it was like to be gossiped about. He's illegitimate. That's Joseph and Mary's son. You remember we talked about this last week. And, and she, that's a Roman soldier's son. He knew, he knew what it was like to be gossiped about. He knew what it was like to be bullied. He knew what it was like to be laughed at. Hey, you saved others. You can't save yourself. He knew what it was like to be laughed at. He knew what it was like to be ridiculed. He knew what it was like to be disliked. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his family and his friends. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He understands your sorrow, my sorrow, your tears, my tears, and never attended a funeral, always showed up afterwards. In his sorrow, in his suffering, in his death, he became that faithful and merciful high priest who is touched, who is moved with the feelings of our infirmities. He came because of that. Why did he come? That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. What's the purpose of the incarnation? That he might deliver us from the bondage of death. Don't forget that. While we celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, that he might make atonement and reconciliation to God for our sins once and for all. Don't have to worry about them anymore. Why did he come? That he might understand us in this life. You know, there are two great seasons of the year, my opinion, and that's Christmas, and, that's, uh, and the other one is Easter, because both of them show us what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Great time of the year, great time of the year. I love Christmas. I don't think you can commercialize it too much. You know why? Because the more people, the more people 
celebrate Christmas, the more really the Savior is magnified. Everybody's busy. Everybody's running around. Everybody's ginning around. Why is that? Because they're celebrating Christmas, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. It's good. This is a good time of the year. Enjoy it. Don't gripe about it and don't complain about it because there's a reason and there's a purpose behind it. Let's have a word of prayer. Well, Father, thank you for our time that we've had together today to answer a question perhaps we've wondered about. Why the incarnation? Why bother? The virgin birth was just a step a step prior to the incarnation when the Christ child was born. And we realize today why you came. And so, Father, we rejoice in, in the fact that you came. I pray for each person here today. I pray for those who are under the bondage of death, who fear death. They've never put their faith and trust in you. And so I pray today as you call them, Father, that they would invite you into their life, invite you into their heart. Father, that they would humble their heart and say, Oh God, I know that I'm a sinner. This life will end one day, and I know there's a Jesus. I know there was a birth. Christ was born. Historical fact. Archaeological fact scientific fact I know there was a Jesus Christ born and died crucified and was buried all of that's fact and today I humble my heart and I say oh God I know that I'm a sinner please forgive me come into my life and save me I want to experience Christmas in its fullest please I pray relieve release me from this bondage of death this fear of death. And God, today, just to say thank you for those of us who have trusted you to be Lord and Savior for that atoning blood that, that takes away, removes our sin. You remember it no more. Help us, Lord, to forgive ourselves and go on. And Lord, to know that you're here in troubled times with us, those not-so-good times, you understand there's nothing that comes into my life that did not come into your life. Thank you, Lord, for being here with me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not alone. I pray that everyone can experience the joy in knowing your closeness in their life. Speak to our hearts today. Move our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus, is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, <clears throat> the innkeeper, reminded of the innkeeper. You know, the innkeeper, he had to make a decision. and Mary and Joseph showed up at his door. And uh, he didn't have no room. And the best answer he could give was no room, no room, no room, no room. And probably Miss Innkeeper came in. And she said, there's bound to be a place. There's bound to be a place. 
think, is there a place? Look at this lady. She's fixing to have a baby. There's, there's bound to be a place somewhere. Somewhere we could do something. And he said, well, we've got the stable out back. I'll tell you what. I'll go out and I'll fix that stable. And we'll find a place for them tonight. And we'll find a place for that baby in that stable to be born. Did you know that innkeeper could have just closed the door altogether? Did you know you can do that? You can either open your heart's door to Jesus or you can close your heart's door to Jesus. You can do that. I can close the door against him. If you close the door to Jesus, think of how much you miss by doing that. Think about missing uh, all the joy about having Jesus in your life. Think about missing an eternal home called heaven. Think about what happens when you close the door against Jesus. But this keep innkeeper, they kept, you know, he kept insisting, no room, no room, no room, but they found a place. They found that stable. And what it all boils down to, the, the innkeeper did the very best he could. He came up with something. He came up with that stable, and that's all he had. That's all he had. He gave God all he had. And do you know that's all God requires of us, is to give him all we have? The most important thing you can give him is yourself, your total being. I'll close with this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. At your heart's door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. You want to have fellowship with Jesus? It's real simple. Say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Tell you what, you can just be seated as we sing this song, just in a just in a time of invitation as we just sing this song entitled "Make Room." And so let's let it minister to you as we sing. Family hiding from the storm. Found no place at the keeper's door. It was for this a child was born. To save a world so cold and hollow. The sleeping town did not know. That lying in a manger low. A savior king who had no home. 
come to heal our sorrow is there room in your heart is there room in your heart is there room in your heart for god to write his story glory light you are precious in his sight God has came to raise the Lord is there room in your heart is there room in your heart is there room in your heart for God to write his story your 